live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. It's just embarrassing. I don't know why the high voice ever. What's happened? Like the last couple of weeks, you've been like randomly critiquing your own voice during our rejoins. Just it's embarrassing. I I don't know what happened. This is the press box. He's just doing his own self critique. He's just listening to these rejoins, oh, disgusted in his own voice, apparently. Yeah. The only thing I'm not disgusted is whacking that thing around because it is me. With Grady and Bischoff. He literally, it's the exact same. It's, it's, it's the exact mimicking. same. Thing. Ed was, a, was an actor at one point. He can mimic voices. <laughs> Child actor. On ESPN Las Vegas. Whacking that thing around. Here we go. Tyler and Jared on a Tuesday. Pleased to have you on the press box. Um, before we start off, I have to know. I was thinking about it Whacking all last that night, thing around. all last day. Nine for nine. I feel terrible this morning. But you didn't you, even you come close. Uh, tell people what it was again. So it's nine beers, nine hot dogs, and nine innings of baseball. And which game? Uh, I got a friend who's a Phillies fan, and the Astros played the Phillies, so... They clinched. Went over to his house, watched the Astros and Phillies, and I drank six beers and had five hot dogs. All right. Wow. Not even close. More than I thought I was going to do. Oh. Uh, My friend drank nine beers and ate seven hot dogs. Oh, he came close. He was laying on the ground in the ninth inning eating his seventh hot dog. Oh, he came close. (laughs) Grilled, boiled, how'd you make them? Grilled. He grilled them. Okay. Yeah. All right. Not great. Not a fun start to the day. I feel terrible this morning. I can only imagine. It, ne- it needs to come out one end or the other. I can only imagine. Five dogs and <laughs> how From many beers? From what we've learned, uh, I will have Lindsay get a cart. <laughs> <laughs> how many beers? Uh, six. That's it? Yeah. It's a lot. No, it's not. Did you not drink in college? It fills you up in a hurry. If you were, if I was just drinking, it would have been no problem. If I was just eating the hot dog, it might have been the problem. Hot dogs get gross after like the third one. Yeah. Do you have like, condiments? Yeah, I you did. didn't put like a Mike Gramala. No, no, no. I did a bunch of different stuff too to try to vary it. I took Chick Fil A sauce for one. Ooh, I had Polynesian. like this, <laughs> this um, Nan- you know what Nando's is? It's a, yes, it's a restaurant. Yep. Yes, it's great. Some, some yep. Nando sauce had a. Uh, Used A1 on one of them. And A1. Oh, no wonder he stopped. Nah, that was fine. And then uh, this, like, garlic aioli. So I was trying just just different stuff to make it taste you don't different have to every eat time. You bun, do you? Yeah, you do. Oh. Who eats a hot dog without a bun? I mean, sometimes the buns are expensive. <laughs> <laughs> the first bite. Do the Raiders have a better offense or defense this season? Um, I know what the rankings are. I see the rankings here. And right when I saw the question, why do you think I immediately went to the defense? Because they've been better than expected. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give people the numbers. So pro football focus, their ranks this year, Raiders offense, 20th best, Raiders defense, 21st. So almost the same. EPA likes the offense more, 12th in expected points added. The defense is 18th. Uh, if you go by just straight up points, 10th in points scored, 24th in points allowed. So just straight up points, the offense is okay. much better than the defense. But I'm I'm with you. Like I think it's the defense. And I, I think part of what it is is our expectations for the defense were quite low coming in. And they've probably probably been about an average, maybe slightly below average defense, which is better than we expected. Meanwhile, the offense, and here's the interesting part about the offense, they have moved the ball quite well. They, like the last three seasons, 
cannot score touchdowns in the, in the red, red zone. zone. They can't no, do they it. Can't, no. And they settle for field goals. And, you know, we talked about it yesterday. Daniel Carlson kicked three field goals that were shorter than an extra point right. in Sunday's game. Like, that's a bad sign that we have seen over and over and over from different coaches, but the same quarterback and different skill position guys. So if the, if the Raiders offense figures out how to score in the red zone, it'll be the Raiders offense easily. But until then, they're driving the ball, they're moving the ball well, but they're kicking field goals, which is not the best. It's not the worst, but it's not the best. And it leads us sitting here saying, well, the offense is still underperforming, but the defense is probably overperforming. And the right defense now. has had quarters and halves where they shut people out yeah. and kind of dominated. And I don't remember the offense, you know, uh, maybe the first half against Arizona, but I don't remember the offense kind of having that domination. Uh, that yeah. you've seen from the defense. Yeah, th- there's certainly been plenty of moments this year where the defense has been carrying the team for a quarter or two quarters or something and giving the offense chance after chance to right. take the lead, tie the game, whatever, extend the lead, whatever position that they've actually been in. And so that's, I don't know, it's an, it's an interesting thought because I'm I'm glad you and I are on the same page where it's like, yeah, the numbers don't really agree, but it feels like this team it is better defensively. Like the, yeah, the, they're better defensively. Even though, I mean... Yeah. If they can get at least once per game someone to fumble the ball directly <laughs> yes. to one of their players, I think I think they have a real shot. They're in great shape. Um, on the defense, do you believe Chandler Jones has turned a corner? So I'll give you this. First off, he was the third highest graded defensive player for the Raiders on Sunday at 73.3. Um, Josh McDaniels yesterday said that Chandler Jones is making a lot of plays that don't show up in the stats. Um, However, his pro football focus grade on the year is still 78th out of 107. He has eight pressures, but no sacks through four games. So I thought the other day was his best game so far. And, you know, that's all relative. Right. And it was his best game because there were three plays where he he was noticeable. Not even really he made the play. He was just noticeable right? how many at least one or tw- two times the holdings were against him yeah I think he drew I think he drew two holdings and then he did have a quarterback pressure that got wiped out because of a defensive penalty somewhere else so he actually did have a quarterback pressure that didn't get counted because somebody on his team I don't know committed defensive holding or PI or something like that so it's it was better than any of his previous three games but he's getting paid 17 million dollars a year and the Raiders certainly did not acquire Chandler Jones to, well, he drew a couple of holding penalties. Like they acquired right. Chandler Jones to sack the quarterback. Yes. A few yes, times. Exactly. To get to hit the quarterback, force some turnovers. And like this, it feels very much like how we talked about Cleveland Furl, where it was like, oh, look at that. He was kind of in the picture when the quarterback threw the ball. Like we're scraping the bottom of the barrel for production from Chandler Jones. And I feel like that's what we did with Cleveland Furl for the first three years of his career. Yeah. And I mean, I think what I remember in Cleveland Furl as well, he's good against the run. Yes. He's good against the run. He's a really good run stopper. Hasn't touched but a quarterback I don't think in his that's entire why they career. drafted him number four overall. <laughs> exactly. And that's this exact same situation with Chandler Jones. And actually probably higher expectations on Chandler Jones because well, look at the money they gave right. him. You give him that type of money and the, the other part of it is that Max Crosby has been so good on the other side that you would think there would be an overcorrection from yes. offensive lines to, hey, stop him. we got to keep that guy away. Now, again, the Broncos on one play last week decided to let's have our tight end solo block Max Crosby. 
that's just stupid. But you would think there'd be a lot more, hey, let's dedicate at least two guys to Crosby. Crosby. And we're going to let Chandler Jones go one-on-one. And if Chandler Jones is going one-on-one, you would think Chandler Jones would have much more of an impact than he's had so far. But it hasn't worked out that way. So better, but it's still not great. And to go back to the original question, I'm kind of amazed at how well I think the defense has played. Given what Chandler Jones yeah. has not done. Yeah. Like we came into it being like, all right, this defense is going to be built on Crosby and Chandler Jones. They're probably right. going to give up a lot of big plays, but if those, those two, two guys on the edge, if they can get enough good. sacks pressure, they can force some turnovers. Right. It'll make up for whatever deficiencies they've had. Crosby's been Crosby's been good. He hasn't been like outstanding, but he's been good. But Chandler Jones is like non-existent in four games so far. And there still feels like the defense, the is, defense is better. So that's yeah. a, it's an interesting place where they are now. Going forward, who do you think is going to be better the rest of the season, the offense or the defense? Uh, Hunter Renfro comes back. Well, again, it's just going to depend on if they can solve the red zone woes, and they haven't done that in you know a few years now. So there's nothing to there's nothing to suggest they're going to be better in the red zone until they start doing it, until they start proving themselves in the red zone. And if they can't prove themselves in the red zone, and the defense continues to at least play at this level or get any better, I'll say the defense. So. If we look at the offense, first off, you have Devontae Adams, who is supposed to be one of the best red zone receivers in football, right? Like that's a guy you can pretty much just throw the ball to and he should make a play to go get it. If healthy, you have Hunter Renfro, who his best skill is what? His short route running? Mm -hmm. Red zone. That's two guys, two receivers that should be great targets in the red zone. Plus Darren Waller exists, right? big body tight end. He should be a decent red zone target too. That should be three guys that are really good targets in the red zone. Now you add in the fact that the Raiders yards per carry this year is I think the highest it's ever been. Obviously there's still the almost majority of the season to play, but the run game has been very good. And you look at last week, it was ex- exceptional. Why wouldn't the offense be good in the red zone? Like what is it that the offense mm-hmm. isn't good? They like, haven't been in a while. Yeah. And they weren't last year. And the, the biggest flaw of the offense has been the pass blocking. But when you're in the red zone, you don't need four seconds to throw it 30 yards down the right. field. You need two seconds, right? You need as long as it takes Hunter Renfro or Devontae Adams to, to run beat a their slant. Man. Yeah. And so this, you would just sit down and look at this team and say, they should be, they should be better in the red zone than they are everywhere else yeah. on the field. That's where they should excel. Maybe they struggle to get there, but once they get there, they're going to score. And it's the exact opposite. And that's just so bizarre to me. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, and of all the things that I just mentioned, is it Derek Carr? Is it play calling? Maybe. I mean, but are we going to sit back? And if this continues the whole year, are we going to sit back and say, wow, they're bad in the red zone again? John Gruden and Josh McDaniels are just bad play callers in the red zone. Or is it Derek Carr? Is it the main common denominator yeah. here? Is there something in Derek Carr's game that makes it harder to score in the red zone. Right. And I would say, listen, I'm not breaking down the film of the play calling and Derek Carr's decision making or anything, but just my guess would be Carr is usually a risk adverse quarterback, right? He's not one that's going to throw into the tightest windows. He's going to err on the side of caution. He's going to throw it away before he throws it into a tight window. Maybe that's the issue. Maybe there are, it's tighter windows in the red zone because there's less sure. space. Maybe less he space. needs to be a little bit more aggressive, aggressive. a little more willing to throw into those tight windows, and that might be it. That might simply be the issue there, that maybe Devontae Adams is used to, ah, 
Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers would, would throw that pass. Would try to throw it right off the defender's right. helmet, and I'd go catch it, right. and Carr's just not going to do that, which is, it's not the worst trait in the world to be a quarterback who's a little risk-adverse because you're not going to throw that many interceptions. Interceptions. Right. But it's not great when you struggle in the red zone. Where did Jared go, by the way? Jared is walking around outside, uh, going in other buildings, <laughs> waving at us through the window, and now I just saw him sprinting outside the other building, uh, perhaps towards here. And there he hey, is. Hey, there's Jared. There's Jared. <laughs> Wait, what? I there's was like, Jared. I was like, we're going to break, but Jared is not here to send us to break. So I didn't know where Jared was. You ready to go to break, Jared? It's a little early, but all right. Ready to jump that rail and start a celebration. Dubon waiting on the 12th pitch. And here it is. Swung on, popped up, shallow center, coming on Marsh on the run. And the Phillies, for the first time in 11 years, will head back to the postseason. We're back to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. You know what's brutal about trying to... uh, eat nine hot dogs and drink nine beers in that. It was a very fast game. Oh, yeah? The Astros did not have a base runner until the seventh inning. I'm still confused, though, as to A, how a hot dog is a lot of food, and B, it's it's a hot dog. He had the, how bre- is this? He had the bread, though. You dip it in water. I've watched Joey Chestnut. Uh, and also, in the ninth inning, while trying to eat one more hot dog, the Astros made two outs on the first two pitches of the bottom of the ninth. <laughs> not ideal way too quick of a game not nearly enough guys on base not enough full counts it was brutal Philly um, celebrate yeah they haven't been in the postseason in a decade yeah they went nuts it's unreal how long it's been the funniest thing is we were watching the Phillies broadcast how many stats they had they were like it's been 4,900 and something days since they went to the postseason it there have been 297 players wear a Phillies uniform since they went to the post, like they just were ready. And I was like, you guys are just dumping on this franchise. Ryan this Howard's parents have stolen $200 million from him since the last time they went to the. Yeah, it's crazy. So some UNLV football here. Here's a fun question for you. Is Doug Brumfield the best quarterback in the Mountain West? I think of those healthy he is. So right now. He leads the Mountain West in quarterback rating. He has the second highest yards per attempt, and he has the third highest completion percentage. Those are all rate stats, not counting stats. Um, of the of the, all the quarterbacks in the Mountain West, the only other guy to be in the top three of all of those stats is Jake Hayner, who's Fresno State's quarterback, but he is hurt. He did not play this past week against UConn. He's not expected to play again this weekend either, and I think they said he's week to week, so... He'll probably be back during this season, but they don't really seem to have a good idea of when. The only other quarterback that's close in terms of those categories, Colorado State has a freshman named Clay Millen. He's top four in all of those categories as well. And they stink. Yeah. Um, San Jose State's Siobhan Cordero, who transferred from Hawaii to San Jose State, he's having a good year as well, Uh, but he he has not been as good as Doug Brumfield. So right now, I think we're saying yeah. Doug Brumfield's the best yeah. quarterback in the Mountain West. Now, again, there's still seven games left in the season. They're about to play the five best teams on their schedule in a row. So we'll see. You know, two, two or three games into this five-game stretch, we might be like, oh, Brumfield is struggling a little bit more because the defenses are simply better. But we'll see. But as of right now, 
UNLV's got the best quarterback in this conference, which is incredible to say because at the start of the year, I was asking people, when's the last time they had a top half quarterback? When's the last time he was in the portal? (laughs) When's the last time they had a top three quarterback in this conference? And the answer in the Mountain West, the answer was probably never, right? right? Like they probably had a couple top half guys, but top three, probably never since the Mountain West was formed in the late 90s. And right now, five games into the season, we're talking about Brumfield as the best. And I here's the thing. Yes, the next five games are going to be difficult. I have a hard time believing he's going to fall out of the top four of quarterbacks in the Mountain West. He, I doubt he even falls out of the top three. But I don't think he falls out of the top. Even, yeah. even if they lose a bunch of these games and even if the offense struggles some, I still think Brumfield's going to be good enough that we're talking about, oh, he's one of the three best quarterbacks in the Mountain West and that he is yeah, I agree with you. first or yeah. second all-team all-Mountain West. I think that I think that stands even if Hayner comes back. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Hayner can come back and still be the best quarterback, but doesn't mean Brumfield's going to fall out uh, that much. Yeah, and so what I think was most impressive about Brumfield against New Mexico, because it honestly wasn't like an incredible game from Doug Brumfield, right? He was 24-33, did throw a pick, but UNLV was down two of their top three wide receivers. Right. Kyle Williams and um, Jeff Weimer were out, and a guy named Seneca McKee led UNLV in receiving. He had five catches for 72 yards. He had 41 yards entering the game. So Brumfield was still a good productive quarterback despite not having great wide receivers out there or at least his normal great wide receivers out there. So uh, he's been great uh which is and, good cuz he makes other guys better. Right, when you can when he can have a good game without the top end wide receivers, that's a good sign. Very right? good it's sign. a very good sign. One other thing from the game on New Mexico that we didn't get to and I here's the thing. I actually thought this was a sign of like a well-coached UNLV team. On a third and one, UNLV ran a quarterback sneak and got seven yards, which is one <laughs> of the big kid. Which is one of the funniest things kid. you can do. But here's what happened on the play. UNLV has a third and one. UNLV is what ninety-nine point nine percent of the time in the shotgun or pistol. Right? They don't take the snap from under center hardly ever. So it's third and one. UNLV comes out ready to go. And New Mexico doesn't have anybody lined up over the center, right? They've just got their normal defensive front out there. And so Brumfield just sort of casually walked up behind the center, quickly snapped it, and just fell forward for seven, for seven yards, yards because there was Where's nobody. Where's the linebackers? Yeah, there was, that's, they got to the linebacker, and that was the first person that was any resistance towards Brumfield, right? They got three or four yards down the field, and then, oh, there's a linebacker here, and they push for another three yards. And... I thought that was like that to me, that was a sign of a well-coached team because it's third and one, you only need one yard and they took advantage of something that the defense just effectively gave them. And it's not something he noticed it. And it's not something right that they normally do. That's not a, Hey, third and one UNLV loves to quarterback sneak or whatever. That's like, I don't even know if Brumfield's run a quarterback sneak this year before then. And that I thought was a great sign of, Hey, they realized in, you know, it wasn't like the fourth quarter, but in a, a third down conversion situation, a big situation, they realized something the defense was giving them. They realized something the defense had uh, messed up, right? I'm sure the coaches didn't actually tell players to line up over the center, but they probably should have. And they took advantage of it and got, again, seven yards is comical, but they got an easy right. first down conversion on a third down. And I thought that was a terrific sign. And I don't know, listen. Did Brumfield do it on his own? Was that a, you know, signaled in from the bench? I don't know exactly who made the call to, hey, go take the snap and just fall forward. But it was a 
very good play for UNLV. When nor- Normally, you're used to UNLV either being the team that doesn't put somebody over the center and give up the seven-yard quarterback sneak or just simply not take advantage of when the opponent messes up, yeah. which I think is a big theme of this year for UNLV football. When their opponent sucks, they take advantage of it. Like when their opponent does something poorly, they take advantage of it, which we've seen. Well, that's going back to what you just said originally. That's a sign of a well-coached team, though. We've seen for so many years UNLV football, A, be the team that's not any good and make the mistakes, but also when the other team makes mistakes and hands them field position or the ball or whatever, they don't do anything with it. it. Yeah, they, they just, they don't do anything with it. And this year's team absolutely does. And it's why... It's a bad Mountain West, and UNLV decided, hey, let's have our best season ever when the Mountain West right. is bad, and they're going to look great because of it, because this Mountain West is very bad. It's bad, but I don't want to take away from the fact I think UNLV's played really well. Right. It's. I mean, it's. I, 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 I keep hearing that, and we keep saying it, so you know, we're, we're on that bandwagon, too, of this league is not very good this year. All the numbers prove it out. Um, you know, it's just it's, you've got teams in the, all most in teams in the top 100s, or excuse me, a hundred or worse, but I I think also that they're pretty good. Yes. I mean, I want to say that because I think mostly it's like, oh, the league stinks. That's why they're good. No, I think they're pretty good. I I believe this year's team in any version of the Mountain West would be a bowl eligible team. Mm-hmm. I think this year's ver- this year's team would be a six win team in any level of the Mountain West. If at the height of the, you know when Boise State was you know being ranked pretty much every week. This team's not good enough that, oh, they would take down those level of Boise State teams, right? They're, if this was a good Mountain West, UNLV would be like the fifth or sixth best team in it. And but that's they'd, bowl eligible. Right, and they'd go, and, and that would be a great season. UNLV's right. never the fifth or sixth best team. But because UNLV is having a good year and the rest of the Mountain West is awful, UNLV might be the second best team in the conference. Hell, they might be the first best yeah. team in the conference. Well, they're going to play San Jose State and Air Force, which... Uh, what uh, those two in Wyoming are probably considered the top three uh, aside from right UNLV, now. right? Those are the top four teams in the conference. They're going to play San Jose State and Air Force next. And if they win those two, we're talking about they are the best team right. in the conference. Arizona, or not Arizona, Air Force <laughs> receiving 20 votes. Oh, they are? Yeah. 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 They received 20 votes yeah. from the coaches or from the media? No, USA Today, the one that marches Arroyo. Coaches. That's the only thing I know. Man, did Arroyo vote for them and not himself? Well, that's, you vote for your upcoming opponent. Yeah, but you also should vote for yourself. Yes. We, you, I mean, yeah. that's what I'm saying. no he one's vote, on the other side of that argument. He voted for Air Force, argument. but not himself? He's looking around and not even saying he's the best coach or best team in the Mountain West? Come on. No, come on. you gotta you got to put that chip on your shoulder. That's right. Nobody believes in us, not even me. Coming up next, David Roth joins the show. I'm excited to see Gwen Stefani. Not sentences I'd imagine that you would have said very much if you had been in a different city. Not that we're trying to do native advertising for the city of Las Vegas, which I personally don't care for very much. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is The Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. So we don't have David Roth from Defector. I'm going to keep trying. He's apparently, I don't know, in a cabin. I don't know where he is. Um, but in the meantime, Ed, did you witness the Josh Dubow Derek Carr hug? I was in the locker room. I did not witness ah, it. I okay. was in the locker room. So Derek Carr, uh, before he talked to the media after the Raiders win on Sunday, Josh Dubow from the Associated Press was covering, I believe, the first time this season, covering a game in person. 
and Derek Carr gave Josh Dubow a hug. Uh, Heidi Fang tweeted out a video of it. The reason it's significant is Derek Carr has blocked Josh Dubow on Twitter. Yep. Uh, Derek Carr has given some eh, sassy answers to Josh Dubow in the yes, past. Uh, most famous being, it doesn't really matter, Josh. Um, when Josh asked, I think I can't remember what, but I think it's a perfectly legitimate question. Yes. <laughs> uh, basically, not that Carr necessarily hates Josh Dubow, but Carr isn't the biggest fan of Josh. Dubow. Well, Josh tweets out very realistic numbers. Yes. Oh, Josh Dubow argues with Raiders fans on Twitter. Yes. All day. Yes. <laughs> and he very much uh, finds the most delusional Raiders fans and tweets whatever their opinions yes. are and corrects them, which often leads to him tweeting bad things about Derek Carr because Derek Carr has not been a very successful quarterback in the NFL in his career. They just haven't. They have, they've been to the playoffs twice since he's been here in eight years. That's not very good. Um, but I love that there was a hug there, which how genuine do you think that was from Derek Carr? Uh, after a win, very genuine. Okay, <laughs> no, uh, I, I do think I do think it was. I I, th- I think it was genuine. He, he hadn't. Josh is still in the Bay Area, so he's not down here a lot, so you don't see him a lot. You just see him on Twitter. Um, I think he watches a lot of the zooms, but you know he's up in the Bay Area, you know, and I think he does a lot of Niner stuff up there. So he flew in for the game, and I think it was genuine. I think it was. We've talked a lot about Derek Carr blocking people and his brother blocking people on Twitter. Um. I actually think Derek Carr blocking people on Twitter is I don't think he like blocks Josh Dubow because he hates Josh Dubow. I think he genuinely just blocks it so he doesn't see it when he scrolls through Twitter. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's genuinely what it is because whatever somebody tweets some funny or great stat about Derek Carr that's not a good stat. Derek Carr probably just doesn't want to see it. So, like, I actually I actually think this is not necessarily him being like, oh, I hate Josh Dubow. It's just, oh, every time I see Josh Dubow tweets, it's about how my win percentage is in the right. 30s or whatever it is, and I just don't want to see that. So he treats social media the same way I do, and but instead of blocking out Josh Dubow, I block out crypto and meta and anything that is a <laughs> Ponzi scheme. <laughs> I am still working on getting David Roth. I'm not. I don't have any confidence we're getting David Roth at this point. I don't think it's happening. How many people do you think you've blocked? I just mute people. I haven't actually blocked anybody. I don't think I mute a lot of conversations. Oh, that's the best feature. Mute conversation when you when, when somebody's just going the, back and yeah, forth back all forth, day, and you're really only just tagged in it. Yes, and you're not just really evolved with get it. Get me out of here. Mute the conversation. Oh, that's one of the greatest features Twitter has is mute conversation. Like I don't want to see this anymore. You guys are just arguing in circles. Oh yes, hundred percent. Was the sunrise beautiful this morning? Why? Who tweeted about a beautiful sunrise? My wife. Oh, wasn't I don't the know. sunrise beautiful this morning? Me. Oh man, I was too tired to notice. <laughs> I don't think the sun was up before I got here. Exactly. I think it was sun... overcast today. It was overcast today. I didn't see any sun. I didn't either. Yeah. By the way, on my fun 999 challenge, uh, my fiance very much against it. Well, I think most people would be yeah. health-wise. Well. I mean, I think that you wouldn't say, hey, because, that's really good for you. Just because I faint when I eat a lot doesn't mean I shouldn't try to eat as many hot dogs as I can. Come on. It's perfectly fine. She was not happy. I mean, she was fine. The thing is, she actually thought at first when I told her that we were going to a baseball game to do it. <laughs> and I was, and eventually I was like, no, if I feel bad, I'll just lay down. 
on his couch or something, and I'll be fine. I won't faint. It'll be no big deal. So Those she wasn't a big fan of it, but ballpark beers are some heavy <gasps> beers. So th- that's the so this nine 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 challenge for anybody just listening. It's nine hot dogs, nine beers, and nine innings of baseball. The first place I saw it was people trying to do it at a baseball game, at a major right, league baseball right. game. And there's there's two problems with it. Number one, that is going to be unbelievably expensive. Yes, nine hot Especially dogs the beers. and nine beers yeah. at a baseball game. Incredibly expensive. Number two, you are not going to watch a single inning of that game because you are going you're to completely focused on what you're doing. Well, you are going to be in line to get right. your beer and hot dog, and then you might as well get in line while you eat and drink your beer and hot dog so you can get the second one before the second inning ends. You get all nine hot dogs at the beginning. That is the worst decision you can make. Well, it's not like they're cooking them. <laughs> At least they're warmed up. <laughs> you stack them you on also, t- top of each still, other, the tin foil warms up the other ones. Also, the hot dog line is not the line you're worried about. It's the beer yeah, it's line you've got to be worried about. As, and nine beers carrying those would be difficult. Right, and I don't, well, they, they wouldn't let you take nine at a time. Right? Don't most ballparks limit you to two? Oh, is that right? I'm pretty sure they limit you to two. The, trust Jared? me, they limit you to two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say they limit you to two. So I'm just like, which is always why you bring a third person who's not that interested in baseball or drinking, so <laughs> that get, they to, to can be, two. so you can order four, and you're like, yeah, you're coming with me. <laughs> so I doing it at an actual game, terrible idea. Doing it at somebody's house, still not a very good right. idea, but it is what it is. All right, I think we're about to get David Roth when we need to go to break in about two minutes. Yeah. Um, Jared, what do you want me to do with David here? Should we ha- have David come back after we go to break, or should we talk to him for literally sixty seconds? No, let's uh, let's talk to him. <laughs> I think sixty seconds. <laughs> yeah, good. I well, get I mean, it all in. What what did what happened, David? We called I'm you before the show. Backwards in time, technologically, the the hot plate was an omen. I'm calling oh. you from the 19th century, guys. Oh, man. man, so you don't even know what like a dishwasher is yet, do you? What, and honestly, I'm happier this way. <laughs> he's got a wa- he's got a wavy piece of metal, and he's just happy. All right, um, I'm, I'm seriously in the woods in rural PA, but I'll talk to you all after the break. I'm happy to to do that if you if there's room for me. All right, yeah, we'll we'll yeah. do that. We'll take you after seven forty five was going to be going to be Monday Night Football. Nah, I will. We don't need to talk I will ask that. you this before we go to break. Um, can you, we miss this completely? Are you going to some random person's house in America? No, yes, uh, that is going to happen. Don't know where it's going to be yet. Really looking forward to finding out. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I'll be carrying a life-size cardboard cutout of myself uh, per the rules of the contest that we're running. Right. So this contest at Defector was, uh, what, people donate 20 bucks, and you got entered to win a chance for David Roth to show up with a cardboard cutout of David Roth at their house? Yeah, so I quibbled with uh, win the right to have that happen. <laughs> but yes, that is that you've described the contest correctly. That's um because you know we're a subscription site, not everybody's got the money to pay for it. So um and we didn't want to raise prices this year. So uh it's brought in a good amount of money. It's just at some point I'm gonna have to go to like, you know, an Arctic research station <laughs> in Alaska and hand somebody a cardboard rendering of myself and then just turn around and go home. And that's all it is. You just show up and give the cardboard cutout. Jared wants the cardboard cutout. It would go great I, with look, our I, Ben Wallace. I want Jared to have it. Yeah. We, we <laughs> so, have a... Yeah. So the way that it's set up right now, it like looks out the window of our office 
uh, like, so if you're walking around downtown Brooklyn, there's a chance that you could look up and it's just a hideous rendering of me looking down from a fourth story uh, window at you. So I think that everybody will be very happy that that's no longer the case in South Brooklyn. Uh, where it's going to wind up, I think it, it probably would tie Jared's home together. I have never really thought about what Jared's apartment <laughs> might look like, but I think it would improve any residence. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, more David Roth live from Pennsylvania. When you're talking about matters of the of the brain, and I, I'm not going to ever pretend to be a foremost expert on it, as long as the protocols are derived with the proper spirit, if it helps players and keeps them safe, um, the Miami Dolphins will be all for it. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter, at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. He's back, live from somewhere in Pennsylvania, David Roth. Um, All right, David, so what I wanted to talk to you about, as uh, the lone Mets fan that we ever talked to on this show, they're going to the playoffs still, but uh, did the Mets basically lose their season over the weekend? So a lot of people that in my my 60-person DM of mentally ill Mets fans, I would say it's running like 70-30 that the answer is yes. Uh, I don't think so, but man, that sucked. Uh, I had no fun <laughs> watching that at all. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's been true. I mean, we've talked about this a million times, and like some of it is me doing like positive self-talk to get myself through the day. But it's also like the Braves have been playing like the 27 Yankees for three months. You know, like there's only so many. They're on like a 108-win pace or something like that over that period. Like there's only so much that you can do. Uh, that said, seven runs in three games uh, and like having Scherzer and DeGrom both get touched is not uh, a good feeling. And as much as I've sort of like done the whistling past the graveyard thing about, you know, like whatever, they're in the playoffs, anything could happen, it's all stupid. All that's true. I don't want the Padres and the Dodgers to be the two teams the Mets play to get to the CS. <laughs> so, I, you know, it feels kind of bad. I'm trying to get myself sort of in the mindset of, you know, I think they've got a chance against the Padres. Uh, I think they've got the same chance that everyone has against the Dodgers, which is to say uh, the dumb things happen sometimes, so who knows. But, yeah, it was really uh, a frustrating one. I mean, the Braves are, are really stressful. They look better this year than I did last year, and they won the damn World Series last year. So I don't know what to make of it, but it's frustrating. They're really missing Starling Marte, and, uh, you know, that whole the bottom third of the lineup's got a lot of outs in it again. That was true all year. It just was, you know, easier to sort of not care about it when they were winning 3-1 games instead of losing 5-2. Are you like me with the Dodgers where you're talking yourself into, oh, my God, look at that Padres rotation? Yes. Uh, and you, Darvish, has owned the Mets at a level that, like, very, very few pitchers in my lifetime have owned the Mets. Which is a lot of guys have owned the Mets, but very few of them as well as as you Darvish has. The Padres are it's weird though because I've watched them recently and the they still don't scare me necessarily. Like there's something about that lineup's got so many big names in it, and yet they don't exactly seem good yet. I think they could be very good, uh, but yeah, I mean it sort of doesn't matter. Like if it's you know Darvish and Musgrove holding your team to four or five hits, then like it sort of doesn't matter if you're getting. 65% of Juan Soto, like over the course of four or five plate appearances, that can be enough to beat you if there's only three guys in the Mets lineup that can really get on base, which has been the case for 
I mean, it certainly was the case in the Atlanta series, and it's more or less been true for, you know, September. So, yeah, Padres made me nervous. I have not gotten to the level yet of uh, watching Dodgers games the way that you do, but I think <laughs> that, like, I had recorded the games from last weekend. I was out of town, and I just dumped them off the DVR without even watching them. <laughs> uh, I was going to try some of the follow the little dot around the bases in the score bug <laughs> maneuvers just to see if that worked, but uh, I'll have to save that for later in October. All right, uh, so the Padres and the Phillies are the last two wildcard teams in the National League. They both clinched a spot already. They're a game apart. Whoever finishes higher between those two is going to have to play three games in New York against the Mets, and if they win that, then they get the Dodgers in the NLDS. The team that finishes below, though, will have to go to St. Louis instead for three, and then we get the Braves in the NLDS. If you were the Padres or the Phillies, would you be tanking the last two games of the season to try to get that St. Louis-Atlanta path? I mean, they're not going to try to tank it, but yes. I mean, that sounds like a vi- even, you know, with the Mets looking wobbly, it's three games. Like, even I am not stupid enough to completely flush the season because uh, they couldn't hit anybody in the Braves' bullpen. But in that case, like, yeah, I would for sure rather, at the very least, deal with the Cardinals, who have not looked as dominant as the rest. Like, if you can avoid the Dodgers until the NLCS, you have to do it. Like, for all of the ways in which they drive their fans crazy this time of year like they're incredible i mean like they've been notably better than every team except for the braves uh for months and i don't know you know that like you don't want the braves in the ds either but there's not an easy path through any of this that's the whole point I i wonder what like tanking would look like at this point like if the phillies run out like a hangover lineup today i would actually respect it but I don't think that they're going to do that. I mean, it's the 160th game of the season or whatever. Yeah, bullpen game. Nick Castellanos playing all three outfield possessions instead of just one. I, th- I think it would be really exciting to sort of try that out. Uh, maybe, like, see if, I don't know if uh, Juris Familia is back on waivers, but maybe give him one last little send-off. I know the fans loved watching him. Uh, maybe get him in there. But, I mean, the Phillies don't scare me because I've watched them so much this year. and But they've been playing great, and... You know, there's no reason I, uh, Dan McQuaid is writing a blog uh, for me at Defector today that, like, the the drought was so long. Like, the drought between when they last been to the playoffs was basically as long as the one that preceded when they made the playoffs in, like, uh, whatever it was, 07 and 08. That, like, this, uh, like, I think I sort of just forgot that they can be good. So I might need to, like, watch them with fresh eyes to a certain extent. There's still a part of me that's always just sort of relieved when the Phillies aren't down. David, uh, Tyler posed a really good question yesterday. Do you have to tell the sideline reporter if you're being carted off to use the restroom? Like, hey, I'm just being carted off to use the restroom. I wonder. I mean, I feel like it's the sort of thing where, like, at least he didn't, like, lie down or, like, give a thumbs up to the fans or anything like that. You know, like, thumbs you don't want to, like, don't get WWE with it where you're, like, really selling it and then you, whatever, rip a mask off and you're back in the game. I will say that it's a tough one. Like, that seems like the sort of thing. I'm not going to tell DK Metcalf how to live his life. He's obviously made a lot of really good decisions vis-a-vis fitness and diet that I myself have not made. But it shouldn't, I feel like as an adult, it shouldn't sneak up on you so bad that you have to go to the bathroom that you're abruptly like, oh, God, is there like a car that can take me to a bathroom right now? Like, I can't do it on foot. Like, it's definitely not going to work. No. I know he's busy, but I was just surprised by it. So you, you say DK Metcalf has made great diet decisions. He absolutely has not. Uh, there was, I can't remember where the story was. I think it was on a podcast. He said that he drinks coffee in the morning 
and then he, he does not eat anything until 4 or 5 p.m. And at 4 or 5 p.m., he eats candy. It's like a bag of candy. And then he'll, oh eat, he'll, eat, he'll eat dinner at like 8 or 9 o'clock. So it's it's coffee, so, 5 o'clock, Skittles, 9 o'clock, steak and potatoes. So I lived like that for like 10 years in my 20s, and not a single ab was seen. <laughs> <laughs> the idea that he's doing that, he's out there looking like DK Metcalf is incredible. Because at first when you were saying that, I was like, oh, that's intermittent fasting. And then you're like, and then when the sun goes down, he eats an entire thing of Starbucks. <laughs> then it's nothing for three months. Like that is at a different level. I remember when I was writing uh, basketball cards back in the day, uh, I had to, you know, be like, you have a bunch of sets and a bunch of cards, four guys in it. And so it would be, it's not like it was a bad job. I loved it. But, you know, you have to write one card for Derrick Rose. You're like, cool. You have to write eight cards for Derrick Rose. And you're like, well, there's nothing really actually interesting about this guy. I was really digging deep. And on one of the Derrick Rose rookie cards that I wrote, there's a quote from Joey Dorsey, who was his teammate at Memphis. That was like, the only thing he eats is canned pineapple. I have no idea how he's even alive. (laughs) So obviously obviously there is like a way that elite athletes can figure this out. But God, I would not have guessed that DK Metcalf would be one of those ones. He is. All right, David. Thank you for coming on. Stay a little bit longer. We appreciate it. Enjoy Pennsylvania. Thank you guys for bearing with me. Wait, Uh, Rooster's Meat Barn. Oh, yeah. Enjoy Rooster's Meat Barn, whatever that is. Sounds kind of scary. Rooster's Meat Barn is the uh, local... Uh, I don't know what's going on. They close at 3 p.m. It's kind of a weird time for a restaurant to close. Okay. I'm a little scared of it, but I'll uh, I'll have a report for you next week. I'll certainly be uh, going good. in there at some point. Thanks, David. We appreciate it. All right. Take care, guys. Have a good one. So there's David Roth from Defector. Um, and the cabin. And somewhere in Pennsylvania and going to... So he goes to Maine and Pennsylvania. Yeah. Rooster's Meat Barn. Is that what it's called? Yeah. We did forget to ask him about Rooster's Meat Barn. That? I, I, I have a friend who lives in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and I texted her like, what is this? And she's like, I don't know, but it sounds scary. Yes. Rooster's Meat Barn. This is a I'm... state that like eats like eats their sandwiches from a gas station. And that's like a, whoa, no. I'm guessing you just walk in and it's just a plate of meat. Like you're the 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 meal you, you order around. is like you get a steak and the sides are like bacon and right. pork or a piece of chicken. Like that's that's what they're serving at Rooster's Meat Barn.